Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. We are here today to know God and to make him known. And, and through all of the experiences that we have together in Sunday Bible school, in weeknight studies, in youth group, in, in, in getting to celebrate an adoption being completed, we, we get to know God better because we see his face in all of these things. And the goal is for us then to walk out of this building and tomorrow at work to make him known, to, to, to radiate his love and his grace into the lives of others. And so we really want to understand what well, what does that look like what is it what does it mean to walk out of here and represent god and and so the elders uh, we talked and, and really came to a place of we wanted to spend a short season just 12 weeks going through once again some of the basic aspects of what it is to be a christian and the goal in all of this is not to teach you some rules you need to follow but to equip you with tools that you might genuinely come Come to a place where you say, I know God and I'm getting to know him better and I feel ready to make him known in the world around me. So we want to talk about what it is to, to be a Christian, how to be a Christian, uh, to, to genuinely live out the life you were saved for. I, I jokingly mentioned last week a couple of times that if we were just meant for eternity, where our only job was to get saved, go to heaven, live with Jesus forever, that it would be much easier and it would be somewhere in scripture that as soon as somebody got saved, we'd dunk you and then kill you. Because because, I mean, just, and that sounds macabre, but I want you to understand what I mean in that if, if we weren't saved to live a life for Christ, the Christian practice would be to end your life as soon as you were saved because that would be so much easier, wouldn't it? But that's not what God did. He chose us. He saved us. He sent Jesus to pay the price for us, not because of heaven, but right now for us to live in such a way that we have an abundant life and a life that reflects and shines in the world around us in such a way that God is glorified and Jesus is shared with those around us. And so if we are supposed to be living a life for Jesus, it's important that we're fully equipped to know what that looks like. And so we're going to be going into different areas of scripture throughout the next 12 weeks and looking at 12 different concepts to help us be a Christian the way that scripture tells us to, to really live the life we're saved for. And so the first thing we really need to answer is this simple question. And that's the first symbol up there. It's just the big question. First and foremost is, brothers and sisters, what exactly is a Christian? What is a Christian? Because our culture is going to tell us a bunch of different things. And you know me. I can't avoid at least cracking one joke. What is a Christian? And some of you are like, oh, that's just a dude. I know, but it's Christian Bale, right? Uh, he, he, 
right? So what is a Christian? Well, a Christian, Christian Bale. Is that a Christian? Is that what, I mean, he's probably the most prominent Christian in our culture, especially if you like comic book movies and Batman. He was Batman, right? I'm Batman. Right, he, he got it down. He did the voice and everything. Is this what it is? Is this a Christian? When we talk about being a Christian, when we talk about living the Christian life, are we talking about, you know, living the Batman life or, or no, of course not. That's ridiculous. But, but our culture is telling us that there are, are other representatives, other things that we're supposed to be aspiring to. Is this a Christian? And I don't necessarily want you to ring out and, and shout. We're not, we're not like booing or, or hissing or cheering or anything. But is this what it means to be a Christian? When we ask, what is a Christian? If we were to watch the news, if we were to, to talk to someone in popular culture, this is probably the picture of Christian that's going to come to their mind faster than any other, you know, especially in our area. To be Catholic is to be Christian. To, to follow the Pope is to be Christian. Or is, is this what it means to be Christian? Is this, you know, some other denomination? Is, is this what it means to be Christian? Is it simply about having a Bible that slowly collects dust on your nightstand and, and wearing a cross? Is this what it means to be Christian? And you know, what's, what's difficult is in our culture today, we've, we're being told that this is what it means to be Christian. To be accepting, to be tolerant, to be completely open to everything at all times. Sadly, in today's culture, this is, is what some believe it means to be Christian. To stand, to protest, to hate, to, 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 to think that um, God can't work uh, and, and we've got to make sure this country perseveres. Now, don't hear me as being unpatriotic, but hear me as saying the kingdom of God is more than the United States. And yet we have reached a point where some of us so conflate our Christianity with our politics that we think that in order to be Christian, you have to be Republican. Or in order to be Christian, you have to be a Democrat. And, and the truth is, when we look into Scripture, none of these are the definition of what it means to be a Christian. None of these pictures that we've looked at would sum up what it means to be a Christian. None of these things are what we should be aspiring to. So when we ask the question, what is a Christian? First of all, we have to, to go back into God's word and say, well, where do we see this word? Where do we see this concept? What does it mean to be a Christian according to God's word? And I want to encourage you then to open your Bibles up to Acts chapter 11. So Acts chapter 11. Now the, the whole book of Acts is written to be a history of the early church. So in Acts chapter 11, I never know quite how to say this word, Acts. Should it be Acts? Do you, do you pronounce everything or is it just Acts? Or So if you hear me say it three or four different ways, it's because I'm still processing this in my own mind. So in this book, ACTS chapter 11, this history of the early church, we see something significant happen in the life of of the church. Now, we need to understand something about this chapter. This chapter is, is recording the history of the church about 12 to 15 years after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. So between 12 and 15 years have transpired since the founding of the church in the upper room when the Holy Spirit was poured out on those first believers and the church officially begins. 
So we get to Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 26, and we find out this about the early church. Verse 19, now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. And so what we're getting caught up on here is there was a, a man, his name was Stephen. He was stoned to death in Jerusalem because of his Christian faith. And at that point, a great persecution of Christians by Jews began. And so Christian Jews or believers in the Messiah, they began to disperse from Jerusalem and head out into all areas of the eastern part of the Roman Empire. And this is how the gospel spread. They took with them their new faith in Jesus as Messiah, and they went out and they began to proclaim his gospel, and others began to be saved. Other Jews began to be saved. And so here we are, spread out, and, and verse 20 says this, but there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news about Jesus. And so all of a sudden, the church is starting to make this jump from just Jews receiving their Messiah to now we have Greeks, Gentiles, non-Jewish people hearing the good news of Jesus Christ and how he lived, died, and rose again for their sins and that by believing on him, they too can be saved. They're hearing this and they are believing. Verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. News about them reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. Saul, who we know most of us as Paul, who wrote a, a, a large number of letters in the New Testament and helped to found churches all over the known Roman world in his day. So we see that God is moving, God is doing. The church is already well established. There are believers coming to Christ on a regular basis. That The church has, is growing from just Jerusalem to all over the known Roman Empire in the eastern parts. And then we get to verse 26. Uh, and, and it says this about Barnabas. Says, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught large numbers. And so here they are for a whole year preaching and teaching to, to Greek believers. And we're seeing new people come to Christ on a regular basis. And then the very last thing we see in this passage, verse 26, the last little bit, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Now, you might wonder, well, wait a minute, aren't they all Christians before this? And, and, well, yes, sort of, but not really. Because the thing is, is Jesus didn't come up out of the tomb, resurrected, showing his hands and his side and say, all right, you guys are all Christians now. He didn't, he didn't start the church, found the church. The Holy Spirit didn't fall on the day of Pentecost and everybody walk out and say, hey, we want you guys to be Christians like us. 
In fact, the, the truth is, is that we don't see the term Christian being used for at least 12 years after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Maybe even up to 15 or 16 years it takes before those who believe on Jesus, who is the Christ, the Messiah, are first called Christians. And so I want you to, to wrap your head around this, is that Jesus did not come to establish Christianity. Jesus came and lived and died and rose again to call unto himself disciples. People who would follow after him and his teaching with all that they are and belong to him. So what is a Christian? When we answer this question, what is a Christian? When we look at where people are first called Christians and what Christian actually means, a Christian is someone who is belonging to the party of Christ. And some of you, you're already thinking, oh yeah, faith is like a party. Woohoo, I love it. And, and yes, but it is belonging to Jesus, belonging to his group. You, you go to a restaurant, right? You know, yeah, how many are in your party? It's not actually a party. You're just there for a hamburger. And, and, but, but it is, you're, you're part of that group. And you are, when a Christian, you are part of the party of Christ. And understand that this is actually Christian. It's not a, a spiritual term. It is a purely secular term. It's distinct from Judaism and every other faith in the world. And, and it is actually, Christian is the name that outsiders gave to the disciples of Jesus. And so the term Christian didn't start with all of a sudden we look and say, oh, we're Christians because we follow the Christ and, and we want to be called Christians. And this is, there's this new faith called Christianity. Instead, believers would have referred to each other as disciples. They would have referred to each other as believers, as saints, as brother or sister, as followers of the way. The reason this is significant is because in our day and age, in our culture, the term Christian seems to be able to be applied to nearly anyone who wants to use it. Like, like you just call yourself a Christian and we all sit back and go, oh, okay, you're a Christian. Well, what is a Christian? Biblically, a Christian is not someone who wears a name tag and says, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a Christian. It isn't somebody who loosely holds to the, the general tenets of, of a faith system. Instead, when we look at scripture, the people who are called Christians, they're called Christians by outsiders. And it's a way of saying, you belong to that Jesus guy, don't you? You're a follower of that, that Jesus guy who lived in, in Palestine and, and the Romans killed him. And you think he rose from the dead, don't you? You follow after him. Your life belongs to him. Other believers would not have said, hey, Christian, Christian, Christian. It would have been brother, sister, disciple, saint. And so when we look at the word Christian, when we talk about how to be a Christian, we have to understand what a Christian is. And a Christian, every Christian, in fact, is first and foremost a disciple of Jesus. 
Now, a lot of us in our Christian walk, in our walk of the, in the faith, we have been taught that you believe on Jesus and are a Christian, and then if you are really serious, you might enter into some discipleship with somebody. And what is discipleship? Well, discipleship means you get together with someone else of the same uh, sex and you have breakfast once a month and you talk about a passage. And that's discipleship. We, we have created this at least two-tier Christian system where you can be a believer and you're just like, you're a level one Christian, right? And everybody who comes to church and everybody who says they believe on Jesus and everybody who got dunked or sprinkled, you're a level one Christian. But if you're really serious, you might choose to be a disciple, a level two Christian. And that means you read your Bible a little bit more. And that means that you, you know, you'll, you'll come to church every Sunday and sometimes Sunday school, right? Because you are deep and you're spiritual and you mean it. Oh, oh, but a level three Christian, that's somebody who like teaches Sunday school or leads a discipleship group where we go through a book. Or level four Christians. Those are people who like, you know, they're lay ministers. They, they might stand in front of people in a service and read scripture or sing a song. And then, of course, there is the ultimate Christian, right? We're not talking the Pope. We're talking like missionaries to places where there's no internet. Those are the dedicated people. Those are the, the disciple of disciples of disciples. Those are the amazing believers. And here's what you need to understand about that picture of levels of Christianity and levels of commitment is that nowhere in scripture is that taught or allowed. You are either a disciple of Jesus or you are a child of Satan. You either chase after Jesus as your Lord and master or you belong to the world and to sin. Scripture doesn't have levels of belonging. There's not like, well, you know, I got just enough Jesus that when I die, I'll go to heaven. No, when we look at what it means to be a Christian, it is to be a disciple. So we need to go, well, what does it mean to be a disciple and a disciple of Jesus? is not someone who just says, someday I'll go to heaven, but for now I'll do what I want. But it is someone who is chasing after him that they might look like him and they'll have their lives changed to reflect him. In, in, in this context, a disciple is a learner or a pupil, but it is not a learner or a pupil in the sense of, I read the book, I got the t-shirt, I watched the movie adaptation, and someday it'll be good. But it is someone who wants to replicate the way of life and the very character of Christ. If we understand the term disciple as it was expressed in Jesus' day and age, it would have been literally to leave behind your life, follow after a teacher, and want to be just like him in everything he did. And I know I've mentioned it before, but there, there are, are at least anecdotal evidence of, of disciples who lived with their masters and then tried to spy on their masters in the most intimate moments of life, whether it was personal or related to their marriage, and, and because they wanted to be just like them. They wanted to copy everything they did. They, their whole life was dedicated to becoming like their master. And this is the discipleship that every follower of Jesus Christ is called to. 
Not if you choose the next level. Not if you get to, you, know, you want to advance in your Christianity and get the pins and, 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 and get better at being a Christian. No, every one of us is called to this discipleship. And so there, there isn't, I'm saved, I'm a Christian, I'm going to go to heaven, but someday maybe I'll get serious and be a disciple. It is instead, everyone who believes on Jesus Christ is considered a disciple, and the calling is to be like him, and to give up everything to chase after him. What does it mean to be a Christian? It is to be a disciple, and here's what a disciple looks like. Luke 6.40, Jesus says this, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. It's interesting in our lives. We don't say it, but we live like we are above Jesus. And what do I mean by that? We ignore his teachings and his ways and follow our own teaching and ways because we think we know better. Because we're afraid to do what he says and we think we've got a better way out. We can, we can walk the middle way and, and, and we can balance the way we'd like to, things we'd like to do and the things that God would like us to do. But Jesus doesn't allow us that room. You are not above him. You are not wiser than your savior. You don't know this world or this life better. And listen, I want you to be careful to, to not hear me condemning you, but to say to all of us, including myself, we have so much more we should be doing as Christians when it comes to following our Savior. We, we have so much more of our lives to give to him instead of holding back and saying we're good. A disciple is not above his master. Jesus says this, or excuse me, the, the apostle Paul says this in, in uh, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And, and that was one of our memory verses, right? We just finished it up. Great verse, part of evangelism. But you need to make sure that you don't think that this just means you, because you stood up one day and said, Jesus is Lord, and you believe some good things about him. But what this really is saying is you in your lifestyle, in all that you are, declare that Jesus is in charge. He is the king of, of your life. He is genuinely Lord over all. And that means there should be differences about us and we should be counting the cost. And there is no, I'm a believer, but not yet a disciple. If you say you follow Jesus, there is no choice for you but to be his disciple and to be his disciple, not in the way that you imagine, but in the way that he says we should be following him. Luke 9, 23, Jesus speaks of discipleship and he says this, then he said to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him pray a quick prayer, maybe come forward and raise his hands in front of people and it's all good. Does he say that? No. He says, if anyone wants to follow after me, if anybody wants to be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Discipleship, being a Christian, it starts with a daily choice to abandon our own selfish desires, to die to self, and then to seek to follow the teachings and the leadership of our King Jesus. <laughs> and it, it doesn't say, and this is really easy. <laughs> In fact, Jesus 
is going to talk about discipleship in Luke chapter 14. If you have a Bible, flip over to the Gospel of Luke chapter 14. Interestingly enough, Luke uh, wrote Luke and Acts. So there you go, a little bit of church history and, and Bible history. The same gentleman, a great historian, also a doctor, inspired by the Holy Spirit under the guidance of God himself, breathing into him, wrote both the Gospel of Luke and Acts. And in Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25, it says this. It says, now great crowds were traveling with him. So he turned and said to them. So Jesus is out and he's teaching and he's, he's changing the world. He's revolutionizing things. He's got these followers who are passionate, excited. And he's got this great crowd following him around. And we have, uh, uh, most of us would think, wow, I mean, Jesus had it going on. Jesus is successful here. What a great ministry. What he probably needs to do is do a fundraiser, build a building, name the ministry after himself, and then uh, be sure to get some laser lights and an electric guitar, and Jesus would be successful at that point, wouldn't he? Because he's got people who are following him. And he turns around to them, and he starts to teach. In verse 26, 26, talking to the crowd, the people who thought, oh yeah, we're in with Jesus, we're good. And he says this to them. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. <laughs> Wait a minute. Didn't Jesus come to teach us to love everybody? I mean, but here, what does he say? If you don't hate everyone else, you can't come be my disciple. Now, <laughs> the answer to this is, in this culture, it's not uncommon to use strong words to express a comparison. And so this is a hatred of comparison, if you will. Jesus is saying to everyone who thinks they're his follower, they need to evaluate the investment they're willing to make. Compared to the way that you love me, you must hate your father and your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters. You must hate your own life in comparison to your love for me. Your love for me should be so great, so powerful, so extensive that you are willing to let everything else go in order to follow me. Do you see how huge it is to be a disciple? When Jesus says, come after me, it's not la-di-da-di-da. It is give up everything else. And come after me. Verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me hasn't hit the second level of discipleship in Christian life yet. And so I pray that someday they'll make that real commitment to come after me. I've already saved you, but I want you to come after me one day, hopefully sometime or another, and really follow me. Do you see that there? I don't see that there. What I see is whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He's essentially saying, 
If we think we can have Jesus and us and our life and our way of doing things, we are not his disciple because that's impossible. It is simply impossible to say, I follow Jesus and my own way of living. And look, I'm, I am standing just as much conviction as you, hopefully, in this moment. Because, because I'm not perfect and I am, I am an imperfect disciple and I struggle. And, and I, I, I hate how imperfect I am sometimes. But I must speak truth to you out of love for you. Because if you think that you are a Christian just because you said some nice things about Jesus one day in front of a pastor and some others, or you prayed some magic prayer that they told you to repeat after them, but you don't belong to him, there is a good chance you are not genuinely a disciple of Jesus and you are not a Christian. This is not to bum you out, but this is to say, I am so concerned about my own soul and your soul that we gotta wrestle with scripture appropriately. And we got to be willing to say, am I just a believer or am I a disciple? Because the demons believe, but they aren't saved. And so we must be disciples and genuinely be ready to give up our whole life for the sake of following Jesus, to abandon our own ambitions, to abandon the, the, the very things that we love about ourselves even and say, it belongs to you, Jesus. Do with it as you will. Verse 28, Jesus goes on to teach this. He says, for which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? And you might read, read that with me and go, what? Well, we were just talking about being disciples. Why are we talking about building things now? See, Jesus wants us to build a big church. No. He's beginning to tell a parable. And he says, if you were wanting to build a big, beautiful tower, wouldn't you take the time to have a plan and understand what it was going to cost you? Otherwise, verse 29, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. You don't start building a tower. Uh, you don't start building a home. You don't start building a, a business without a plan. And if you do, there's a good chance you'll fail. And if you fail, everyone's going to be like, ha, ha, I make fun of you because you're a failure. Yes, exactly, just like that. And rightfully so, Jesus says. And he says this in verse 31. Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? You're getting ready to pick a fight. You're walking up to a guy or a girl who's bigger than you. You gotta know you can actually take him out. Right? You don't pick a fight with somebody bigger than you if you don't know that you're like a ninja or something. If you don't like have nunchuck skills or something like that, you, you're not picking a fight with somebody bigger than you. Why? Because you're going to get your rear end whooped. And guess what? Everybody's going to look at you and go, ha ha, and you'll deserve it. If, if not, verse 32, while the other is still off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. 
A king looking to start a fight doesn't pick a fight with another king who's bigger than him and has more authority and power, a better army. Instead, we try and find a peaceful way of resolution. Now, what is this, the, the thing that's shared in both of these? A big commitment that has grave consequences. And before you make that commitment, you need to understand what it'll cost. Jesus says this then in verse 33. In the same way, like a man building a tower and considering the cost, like a king considering the cost of war and deciding if he can actually win, in the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Jesus says to us all, the cost of discipleship is everything. And if you are not willing to pay the price to be a disciple, you are not a disciple. If you are not willing to give what is asked of you as a follower of Jesus, you are not a follower of Jesus. Man, it, this is hard teaching, isn't it? This is Jesus, though, telling us, I didn't come to give you a new label to wear or a place to go once a week for community and to feel good. I came that you might follow me with all that you are. Now, I got to tell you, the, the rewards of discipleship that I've seen are amazing. A calling, a purpose, a provision that is beyond compare. And, and look, we are not saying we have to, I'm not saying we have to do things in order to be saved. I want you to understand that salvation, according to scripture, is a free gift of God. And why is that necessary? Because you cannot earn your salvation. But what Jesus asks of you in return for this gift that you couldn't earn for yourself is everything that you are. This gift that you could never earn for yourself, you can't be good enough, you can't be uh, faithful enough, you can't follow well enough, you can't be saved on your own. And he will freely give you the gift and all he asks in return is that you give all that you are to him. And you're not earning that gift, are you? You're just thankful for that gift. Only he could pay the price for it. But when you receive it, he asks you to show your thankfulness by giving back to him all that you are. And really, this is the heart of the gospel. This is the heart of the good news. There is a free gift of God that comes only through Jesus Christ. And why do we need this gift? You guys will remember, we were created by a loving, gracious God, and we were created with a purpose to walk in fellowship with him in the, according to the standards that he had given us. But it started with Adam and Eve, and it has continued with every human since. We all rebel against God and choose our own way. Every one of us, Romans 3.23, if you've been doing the memory verses, Romans 3.23, how many people have sinned and come short of the glory of God? All. all. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us have eaten the fruit of our own temptation and rebelled against God's standards. And what have we earned for our sinfulness? The wages of sin is death. The wrath of God upon us. But the gift of God is eternal life. 
And how is this gift purchased for us? Through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. We know that we deserve death. We deserve the wrath of God. But God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die in our place, rose again to prove that he really is who he says he is and can do what he says he can do. And then we are left with a decision. And too often we've been brought to a point and said that decision is simply think good things about Jesus and trust him or follow your own way. But the truth is real Christianity, real discipleship is give your whole life to Jesus because he gave you this gift or refuse the gift and live the way you want. Those are the two options. There's no like little incrementalism. There's no in between. So when we talk about what is a Christian and and, and what I really want you and me both to be working toward in these coming 11 weeks, what is a Christian? A Christian is a disciple, a disciple, a follower of Jesus who has submitted their whole life to Jesus. Now, what does that look like in a modern context? We don't get to follow Jesus around, right? Man, the the early disciples had it so easy. They had it so cool to walk with Jesus for three years, to learn how to do things like he did it, to talk like he did, to teach like he did. They had it so easy. Of course, most of them gave their lives for the sake of that gospel. But, But... What does that look like in a modern context? Well, that's what the next 11 weeks of sermons and study time together will help us to understand. We want to get into God's word. We want to see what does scripture in its totality teach us being a disciple of Jesus looks like. Because we don't get to walk around with him, because we don't get to eat the bread that he miraculously provides or the fish that he prays over and there's plenty, because we don't get to walk on water with him, course we'd probably sink like Peter did because we don't get to 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 have a the last supper with him and and have bread and and wine that's like served to us from his hand because we don't get to have our feet literally washed by the savior we might struggle with what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus in today's culture over the next few weeks hopefully we'll begin to unfold and give you tools to help be a genuine Christian, a disciple, where your whole life becomes his. I want you to understand, though, that the the goal of discipleship, the goal of, of following after Jesus, it isn't just doing things, but it is becoming more like Jesus. I'm not here to tell you, do these five simple things and you'll be a genuine believer. What I'm telling you is that discipleship is a challenge and it's difficult, but we want to give you tools over these next few weeks to where you will do some things with the goal of becoming more like Jesus. And the problem is that we can do lots of things and never be more like Jesus if we're not careful. But if we see the things that we're doing as tools to grow in Christ-likeness, we will then look more like him. So over the next 11 weeks, the goal will be to learn tools for becoming, not just tasks for doing. If you're interested, 
This is not anything I, I'm, I'm like going to hand to everybody and say you must. But there are the, over the next 12 weeks, we're going to be studying 12 different topics, 12 different areas of discipleship, 12 different areas of being a faithful Christian and follower of Jesus. And there are devotionals for throughout the week that are uh, available for you to spend time in God's word, to see what God's word has to say about certain areas of discipleship. And then at least one of our Sunday school classes, the upstairs Sunday school class, will be going through and doing discussion over what's been studied. And so even if you're in a different Sunday school class and you want to be discussing that, I, we don't care if you head up there and Steve and, and uh, Robert, your class ends up with like 60 people and you're in the fellowship hall. That'd be cool. But the, the thing is, is, is these are going to be tools for you to grow. You can just hear the sermons. They'll be okay, I promise. I mean, maybe not scintillating every week, but they'll be okay. But if you want to go further, you want to, you want to see what it really means. You want to grab a hold of extra tools so you can grow in your walk with Christ. Consider grabbing the devotional book. Consider attending Sunday school. Even, even you taking these tools, grabbing two of your friends and have coffee every week and talk about what you're learning and grow together. So the next 11 weeks are going to be about what does it mean to be this Christian that we now understand what it is. So a Christian, what is a Christian? Not Christian Bale, not the Pope, not the world's view of Christianity, but a Christian is a disciple, a follower of Jesus, someone's whole life belonging to him. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it is to be a Christian. So a Christian is a disciple, is a Christian. We're going to use those words interchangeably over the next few weeks. But we must understand that at the heart of it is this surrender of self, this counting of cost, this giving everything that we are to follow after Jesus and belong to him in every aspect of life. Some of you might be saying, all right, well, we're taking the next 11 weeks off. Okay, I'll see you at Christmas time. Because honestly, if you don't want to pursue Jesus, that's up to you. But man, I hope that we're in a place where we are hungering and thirsting for genuine faith and life. And that we really want to understand what it means to be his. Christian is a disciple who has submitted their whole life to Jesus. Are you a Christian or are you just playing the game? Are you just doing some things to be a better person, but you haven't sold out to Jesus? Today, I want to encourage you to consider that. If you need to talk to someone, I'll be available after service. Other elders are here today, Don, Steve. The person who looks nice that's sitting across the aisle from you, go talk to them. Not the person who looks mean. Leave them alone. <laughs> Some of you are like, I'm going to look mean. No, but seriously, if you're not sure, if, if you're genuinely a disciple of Jesus, you've given yourself over to him, talk to somebody today. Begin this process. Pick up a devotional from the, the table in the foyer and begin begin to understand how to be a Christian, that you might live the life you were saved for instead of just playing a game to keep others satisfied. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love for us and how you have so lovingly and graciously called us to come to be part of your family through your son, Jesus Christ. 
I pray that uh, you would help us to remember the, the beautiful picture of adoption and love that we've seen today. That yes, it's a chaotic and crazy business sometimes. And we're not perfect right away. But that you have chosen us and adopted us and brought us into your family. When we name the name of Christ. When we believe on him as our Lord and Savior, our Master. When we become his disciples, you choose us and call us in and make us yours. And so for those of us who know that we're saved, who know that, that we want to serve you, would you help us to genuinely give more of ourselves over the coming weeks to, to develop new habits and traits that we might take on Christ's likeness in ever-increasing measure? And pray for anyone here this morning who's just playing the Christian game, who's just attending church to make others happy, who... who has jumped through a couple of hoops but never allowed you to be king of their life, Lord Jesus. I pray for them today that today would be a day of accounting and reckoning, that they would measure themselves against the truth of Scripture and, and decide, am I genuinely a disciple or am I just playing at this Christian thing? And today that they might choose to count the cost of, of following after you that they would look at, at what you're asking for and say, I'm willing to give that. And then give themselves completely to you, Lord Jesus. May it be true that in 12 weeks, just before we start Advent season, that all of us would be better disciples of you, Lord Jesus, than we are today. Give us boldness to confront our own sin and the sin of our brothers and sisters. Give us boldness to measure ourselves against the truths of Scripture. Help us to be fully devoted disciples of you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray this morning. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song together.